Well, good morning, church. We stand to your feet this morning. So glad you made it into the house of the Lord. Can you just pause and take a second, find somebody you don't know, shake their hands, tell them, glad to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. We will start our worship.
times that's all we can do, amen, is just sing. In the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our circumstances, he's still good, amen. He's so good. I've lived stories that have proved your faithfulness. I've seen miracles my mind can't comprehend. There is beauty in what I can understand. Jesus, it's you. Jesus, it's you. I believe the wonder-working God. In the wonder-working God. All the miracles I see are too good to not believe. The wonder working God, and you heal because you love all the miracles you see. You're too good to not believe, too good to not believe, too good to not believe. Oh, and I can't resurrect a man with my own hands. Don't you tell me he can't 
that be your testimony. Let that be your testimony today. Lord, you're too good to not believe. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Don't tell me he can't do it. All right. Amen. This is Kevin and Rita. And this has been a long way today that a lot of you guys have prayed over. And uh, just, it's, it's exciting. December of last year, Kevin had a stroke and things weren't good for a while. And a lot of us were praying and going to the hospital and just trusting God, just trusting God. And we've been through this journey. And, and I remember, I remember on Good Friday this year, and you guys were at the service, and I remember stopping after the praise and worship. And Kev, you said, I've never experienced anything like that before. And it's just what God's been doing and working in their lives uh, is a miracle story. Don't don't tell me he can't do it. And so I want to ask, that, yeah, hey, you can celebrate that. <laughs> and so I'm going to ask you guys together. To repeat what I know you believe in your heart about Jesus. All right? I believe, I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus, Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The, the Son, Son of the Living God. God. And I accept Him. And, and I, I accept Him. That's my personal Lord and Savior. That's my personal Lord and Savior. All right. We're going to do this together. See if, we, if Kim and I are good enough to do this simultaneously. <laughs> Kevin and Rita, because of that confession of faith. We're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of all your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. As we pause for a minute in service and we just continue our worship, we're about to take communion. It's so familiar when we talk about the Last Supper. Some of the words that are often spoken is, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant. My blood which is poured out for you. Now recently I was reading through that. Luke 22. And I just so happened, came across the verse 15. And Jesus spoke and he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And that just kind of hit me. And I thought Jesus is saying he desires to be with his disciples And as we all know, he was facing just an enormous amount of suffering. And like most of us, we go to the Father. He went to his Father and asked for that strength. But he also desired to be with his human relationships, the people that were closest to him on this earth. When we think about those disciples... And you can see in that that chapter how almost chaotic it was. They were talking about somebody betraying Jesus. They were talking about who will be the greatest. Which of 
which of them will be the greatest. And through that whole time, Jesus is taking it all in. But in that moment when he needed to have comfort or peace or just strength to make it through the next part, he chose to be with them. And those things, it's unimaginable to me when I think about the human side that we have all the time. We fail. We struggle. But I also thought about this is how do we react sometimes in our moments when we're able to be with Jesus? In those moments we're able to pray or come together and worship. Is it often us telling God, telling Jesus our troubles, what's going on? Sometimes do we allow him to do what he can do and speak to him? Speak to us, speak to our hearts, bring deliverance. So today as we pause for this time, we have the station set up. As you come and grab those elements, head back to your seat, we just want you to imagine in in the next moments what you can get from Jesus. He's here today. So we pray that we can be sound in those times as well and hear from our Heavenly Father and hear from our Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can be self-centered. We can come to you only in those times where we have need. But God, let us also focus on the times where we can bring offering to you. Desire to hear from your voice. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister in that time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
stars as I just lift up my hands, lay my whole life down. Father, you're worthy of all praise, God. We just thank you. No one higher, no one greater. Amen. You can be seated.
Well, good morning. Hey, over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of James. It's a book. It's, we call it a book, but it's really a letter. Okay. And so the book of James, the letter of James has five chapters. And for the next five weeks, we're going to just walk through this letter that James wrote. Okay. So here's what I, I want you guys to do. I know some of you, a lot of you hopefully are reading through the new Testament with us this summer. Uh, we don't really get to, to James until like middle of August, but go ahead and, and cheat a little bit and read all, uh, James along with the other stuff maybe you're reading over the next five weeks because I want us all to be literally on the same page uh, as we go through the next, uh, after today we'll uh, spend three more weeks in here going through chapters two, three, and four, and then we'll finish it up out at the park the first weekend in August. Dave will finish up James with chapter five, okay? So as you're reading and thinking and praying this week, looking for maybe some devotionals, go to the book of James, go to the letter of James, because um, if, and I'll say this too, if you are someone who's, who's maybe new to Christianity or new to the church, or just trying to figure out this whole Bible thing, and you open it up, and somebody says, hey, read this or read that, and you read it, and you're like, huh? Like, what does this say? What does this mean? How does this relate to my life? I don't get the connection here, and this is hard to understand. Maybe you've been there before. I don't know. I would encourage you to go read James, because James is such a powerful word, but it's also a very practical word. And so what you'll see over the next few weeks as we dig into this is that there are things that you're going to be able to take from God's word and specifically apply to your life today. That's the whole goal of the next five weeks for us as we go through this this letter together. So let's talk a little bit about who James was, okay? James was the brother of Jesus. He was they were actually technically half brothers, right? So Mary and Joseph were James's biological parents. The Holy Spirit was Jesus's biological father, and so they shared the same mother. James was the younger brother of Jesus. So just kind of imagine that for a second, right? Imagine going through life. Anybody in here a younger, like a younger sibling? Who's the younger siblings? If you're a younger sibling, raise your hand, right? And so maybe there were times in your life, hopefully your parents didn't do this. Right, hopefully teachers, coaches didn't do this, but it, maybe it happened. Like they said, why can't you be more like, or why don't you do things like, right? Well, uh, you, that maybe, maybe was your story a little bit, but can you imagine <laughs> Jesus as your older brother? You know, and the parents look at James and go, why can't you be more like Jesus? Right? Like, well, mom, dad, like, you believe, like, you believe he's the Messiah. You believe he's God. That's a, that's a pretty high standard, right? Here's what's interesting about James. James did not buy into the fact that Jesus was God, that he was the Messiah. In his life, leading all the way up through the resurrection, James wasn't buying. James was like, that dude's my brother. Like, we grew up together. We slept in the same bed, right? We grew up in the same house, and we had the same experiences growing up. Yeah, he's a little weird. Yeah, he's a little odd. Yeah, he never gets in trouble. But I'm not buying that he's God. I'm not buying that he's the Messiah. It wasn't until the resurrection when James saw Jesus after the crucifixion that he saw Jesus standing there in front of him, that he said, okay, <laughs> now I believe, 
right? I, I heard about, I saw the things you did. I remember when you turned that water into wine. I, you know, I, remember, I heard about you walking across the water. I knew that you raised a few people from the dead. Okay, whatever. But now you have come back. You have defeated death and you are staying. I saw you on the cross. I know you were dead. And now you're alive. And so James, it took that, right? It took that for him to say, okay, I I believe that you are the Messiah. And here's who James was. James became the early, uh, one of the first leaders, the the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. One of the very first leaders of the church. And so after Jesus goes back to heaven, the church is established in the the book of Acts. Really a lot of the stuff that you'll read about in James' life that we're going to be reading about over the next five weeks. A lot of this is playing out right in the middle of the book of Acts. These kind of parallel each other, right? This is all going on kind of at the same time. But here's what's interesting about the book of James. It was one one of the earliest, in fact, the earliest written word that we have in the New Testament. It was written between 48 and 52 AD, which, which puts it like about 10 or 12 years after Jesus goes back to heaven. So this is, even though it's farther back in the New Testament, the, 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 the uh, Bible is not in chronological order, okay? Uh, it's just kind of, it, it's, it's not, it didn't work that way. So the book of James was one of the, was the very first written New Testament, New Testament book that we have, okay? And so it's there in the back of your New Testament. But James writes this between 48 and 52 AD. And he writes it to the church. He writes it to, to Jewish Christians, he says, who, who have been dispersed. What, what's happening is, is the, the persecution is, is, is taking place right, right after the church is established. In the first 10, 12, 20 years, the church is, 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 is growing, but it's being persecuted. And so it begins to get pushed out. And, and it says, James writes this letter to the Jewish Christians who have been pushed out of Jerusalem, who are all over the place. And so here's what makes the, the letter a little bit different than other letters that we read about in the New Testament. Like when Paul writes the letter, he, he writes a letter to a very specific... Eth- Ephesians was written to Christians in Ephesus, right? First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Corinth, right? So these, these letters were written to very specific people in a very specific time and addressing a lot of them very specific situations and ideas and thoughts and circumstances and things that they were going to. What James says is that he's going to write this letter. The first letter that's ever been written. Here's another thing you need to understand is that it wasn't even common practice to write letters. It was hard. Like in, in the first century, people didn't write letters. They didn't, the, there was the printing press hadn't, like there wasn't a way to like duplicate letters and write letters. It, was, it wasn't something that just everyday ordinary people did. So you wouldn't just pick up parchment and start writing. And so when James does this, right, he writes this letter. And in his mind, it's like, I want to write this letter. I want it to be delivered to, to all the Christians who have been pushed out of Jerusalem, who are living in other parts of the world. And, and how, how are we going to do this? Why, God, why are you placing this like idea and this thing in my mind? And here's what's interesting, and here's what's powerful about the book of James, is that it's obvious. It's obvious that God wanted to say something to those Christians in the early days. He wanted to say something that would be profound and powerful for them and encouraging to them, but he also wanted to use this letter that James would craft for the church for eternity. 
Uh, until Jesus comes back. And so the things that you read about in this, in this letter, they are, these are things that you can take and apply and understand. That, that they are written, when, when James wrote this, I don't know if he completely understood what God would do with this, but I know the Holy Spirit was using James to write this letter, okay? It was the inspired Word of God. And I believe what God had in store for this letter is that this would be a letter that we would use and that we would read and that we would apply and that we would understand until Jesus comes back. And so it's powerful. It's important. And I want to encourage you to read it. I, when, I, when somebody uh, comes to me and says, hey, I'm a new Christian. Uh, I'm just kind of starting out. What, what should I read? I always tell them, all right, go read, go read the, the Gospels, right? The Gospels are always, that's a good place to start. Go read Proverbs and Psalms. Those are beautiful and powerful. And there's wisdom. And there's all kinds of good stuff in there as well. But also start with James. Go read James. Because it's this very practical, powerful thing that we can apply to our lives. And so that's what I want you guys to understand. It's the reason why we're going to spend the next five weeks just walking through it. Here's what James will say in this letter. He's writing to people, that are, the Jewish Christians, like I said, that have been dispersed. It's called the dispersion. Uh, so your Bible may have that, that term in it, the dispersed. He's writing to Messianic Jews, Jews that believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that have now been pushed out of Jerusalem, having run out of Jerusalem, and they're all over the place, and James wants to connect with them. James will speak in this letter about a living faith in Jesus, which is born out of an authentic relationship with the risen Lord. I'm going to put on my readers. When I used to, I used to see people put on readers like, man, they're really old. So don't, no judgment, okay? No judgment. James speaks to the reality of, of living faith in Jesus, which is born out of an authentic relationship with the risen Lord. And that's what this letter is about. James is going to write to believers who know suffering, who face trials, and who ultimately have a desire to have a deep relationship with God. He's going to show us in this letter... That true faith, true faith produces something. It, it produces fruit. True faith is, is a faith that, that moves, that is active. James will say that if your faith does not accompany your actions, that the, those things aren't together, then it's, it's useless. It's dead. It's worthless. What's the point? And so what you'll find is this letter is extremely practical, like I said, but it's going to have some profound theological truths as well. And so let's begin. Here's what James says. Like I said, he writes to, he says, greetings to the Jewish believers who have been scattered abroad, who have been dispersed, that this great dispersion. He says the 12 tribes of, of Israel, of Judah, right? And so the, the Jewish people weren't living in tribes anymore. And so that was kind of just like a, hey, I'm writing to Jewish people. I'm writing to the Jews. You Jews who have been dispersed all over the place, right? You Christians now, you, you those of you who are following Christ now, this letter is for you. In fact, here's another interesting little tidbit. This is the first time when James writes this, writes this letter. This was about the same time that Christians were, were like that, that, that label, that term, that title was being used for them. And when people used it, when people in, in Jerusalem used it, when people in the Roman world would use that to identify Christians, they were using it as a derogatory term. It wasn't a polite term. But when they said, oh, those, those Christians, it wasn't like, it, that wasn't a nice thing. Like they were, they were saying it being sarcastic. And, and this is about when that starts to take place, that people are referred to followers of Jesus as Christians. 
And James says, you've been pushed out, you've been, you're scattered abroad, and I'm, I'm writing this letter to you. And let's talk for a second about why they had been scattered. Why they had been pushed out. Why they had been dispersed from Jerusalem. Because so, here's what happens. The church, the nucleus of the church was Jerusalem. It all started in Jerusalem in the first century. And so there's the church. This is, this is going on. Like we're, we're understanding like, man, what Jesus did, what he said. And, and people are coming and they're believing. And new, new people are being added to Christianity on a regular basis. And so the, the, the very beginnings of it are right there in Jerusalem. But then something starts to happen. And what happens is... Is that, that these people that were listening to, to James and were listening to Peter preach and were listening to the leaders of the church and were, were remembering what Jesus said and what he taught, what happens is they started, they, they took it very seriously. And they said, you know what? Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the one that I'm going to follow. I know we're, I know there's this allegiance that we're supposed to pledge to Rome, right? I know there's this allegiance we're supposed to pledge to, to, to whatever other authorities or leaders there are uh, that are over us. But, but we're going to just go ahead and follow Jesus. And he's going to be the one we're going to pledge our allegiance to. And so when they do that... They become at odds with their culture. They become at odds with their community. They become at odds with their government. They become at odds with this world. And here's what James is clear about. James is clear is that when you decide to put Jesus first, you are going to be at odds with this world. Do, do you sense that? Do you wake up and grab your phone or turn on the TV or wherever you get your news and go, what is going on in this world? (laughs) Everybody's shaking your heads. Yeah, I feel you. Right? As a believer, as a Christian, we wake up and we go, this doesn't seem right. This seems odd. God, this seems to go against you and your word. This doesn't seem... And yeah, because we will be at odds with this world. Because this world, this world is not our home, right? We, we are aliens here. And so we're going to be at odds with this world. Here's, here's what James says in verse 2. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, James says. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so the Christian life isn't going to be easy. Serving and following God, following Jesus, it's not going to equal health and wealth. And happiness in an earthly sense. There will be trials, James says. In fact, Jesus told us to expect these things as well. In John chapter 15, he said this, Since they persecuted me, since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. 
right? If, if Jesus was persecuted when he was here on earth, and if you and I say that we are following in Jesus' ways, trying to be like Christ in the way that we live our lives, Jesus said, if you're going to do this, if you're going to follow me, you got to understand that persecution and trials are going to come your way, church. And so when they come, we shouldn't be that surprised, right? James knew they were coming. The early church experienced them, and it's still true for us today. Now, I want to stop for a second and just mention something. There's a, a dangerous idea that's floating around. There's a dangerous idea that's floating around in the, in the world, in the church. And it has to do, uh, some people call it the prosperity gospel or, or something like that, right? You've probably maybe heard that before. You've, you know, you've heard, heard preachers uh, preach that, you know, well, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and all these great things are going to come your way. And can I just say, that's heresy. <laughs> it's false. It couldn't be further from the truth. If you watch a, a preacher on TV or, or read a, a book from a preacher that, that they are they are preaching a prosperity gospel that says if you follow Jesus, the, the, all these wonderful things are going to happen to you while you're here on earth, and you're going to be rich, and you're going to be successful, and you're going to be wealthy, and you're going to and like all these great things are going to happen. Run, because it's not it's not what the Bible says. James couldn't be clear. He, he says that you're going to go through t- trials. The Bible doesn't teach that God's going to make us healthy, wealthy, and successful. In fact, on the contrary, the Bible often lifts up trials as a pathway to maturity. Right? A, a lot of times when we're going through some difficult things that the world throws at us, these trials... They're there. I'm not going to say that, that God, I don't believe God causes those trials necessarily. But sometimes, like with Job, if you read Job, God allowed those trials. He, he said, Satan, okay, you can, you can have your way with Job. You can test Job, do everything, anything you want to to Job, just don't take his life, right? And so there, there's biblical precedent for God maybe allowing trials. Like he could stop those, right? He could say, I don't want that to happen to them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to, that's going to be gone. He could do that. But I think God, those trials are, are allowed to happen because when sometimes when those things happen to us, when we go through something, right? It's this pathway to becoming more mature in Christ, or at least that's what God wants to use that for in your life and in my life. And so here's, I wrote this down. If you, if you tweet stuff, take notes, take pictures, write stuff down in your, in your phone, whatever, here's, here's a good one to write down. God's not necessarily interested in making you happy. He wants to make you holy, right? Now, I, I think God wants us to be happy. I think God, God wants good for us. God wants, he's going to bless us. He's, he's good. You're going to, like, you're going to hear James say this in a second. He's always good. God's goodness is a foundational truth that we have to rely on, that we have to trust in. So he's good. And he wants good for us. And he wants, he's going to bless us. He's always good. But, he's not necessarily interested in your earthly happiness. What he wants for you is to become more and more holy. To become more and more like his son, Jesus. 
Bible calls it sanctification. This understanding that we are growing in our faith. We are maturing in our faith. We are, we are leaving the things of the world behind us. When, when Kevin and Rita were baptized this morning, this significant thing that happens when they are buried... In their old selves. And they are raised again in a new life. And they start this journey of walking in a faith to become more and more and more like Jesus. And along that way, James says, when you do that, when that is your goal in this world, trials are going to come your way. Persecution is going to come your way. And so James says that if your faith is being tested, view it as an opportunity to grow closer to the Lord. God's not going to waste your trials. He'll use them as a pathway to maturity. And so when your faith is tested and you hold up under that pressure, James says, your perseverance grows stronger, right? When you're tested and you, you pass the test, not because of your own will, but because of Christ living in you, and the Holy Spirit moving in your life, right? When you hold up under that, have you ever gone through something that was really, just really hard, really bad? And you get on the other side, maybe your family's gone through something, or you personally gone through something, maybe with your marriage, or your kids, or, or your parents, or at work, or your, or your kids at school, and there's like these, all these things going on, like that you're in the middle of that storm, and you're like, this stinks. This hurts. I'm, I'm broken. You just want to like go ball up, you know, in the bed and just like put the, pull the covers over your, 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 your head and just be like, I just want this to be over with, right? Have you ever been there? When you're in the middle of that, when you're in the middle of that storm, it looks like, man, I can't see the other end of this. But as you faithfully get through that and God helps you get through that, you get on the other end of that and you look back and you go, God, all right, I don't think you caused those bad things to happen in my life, but what were you, where were we, what were we trying to do back there? What were you trying to teach me? Let, let's not waste that bad experience. Let me learn from that, right? What can I learn from those experiences? What can I learn from those trials? And so James says, you're going to be tempted. Or you're, going to be, you're going to go through trials. And then here's what he says in verse 12. He says this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. He throws the kind of the second part of this in there, right? Temptation. He says, afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so what James does here is he makes a distinction between trials and temptations. Here's what trials are. Trials, they, they lead to God's glorification. Or they can, if we'll allow God to use those in our life. Temptations look for self-gratification. See, trials, they build strength. Temptations seek weakness. Trials require perseverance. Temptations propose shortcuts. You're going to be tempted to doubt God's goodness when you experience various trials. Resist that temptation and run from it. Because sometimes God chooses to use those trials to strengthen our faith. He allows them to take place so that we can grow. And, and what James says is that 
when we when we're tempted, what we have to understand is that those things they don't come from God. They don't come from God. They come from our own hearts. And so there, here's another little tweetable, writable, notable thing that you can take with you today. Trials may occur around us, but temptations rise up inside of us. They, they, are, they are from inside. Your temptations, the, the trials that happen in our life, sometimes but we can't control those. We can't control the things that happen to us. I saw a thing one time that said life is, a, is 10% about what happens to you and 90% about how you react to that, right? And, and so there are things that happen to us, trials. But then there are temptations. There are things that are inside of our hearts that we're just enticed by. We're tempted with. I think about the fish floating, you know, down the river and it sees that flat, you know, flashy lure kind of floating by that's wiggling and moving and it's shiny and it looks delicious to that big mouth bass, right? And that bass comes along and it chomps down on that shiny lure. And as soon as it does, <laughs> right? And there's that tug and it's like, I don't know if fish have brains enough to go, uh-oh, but the brain goes, uh-oh, right? The fish goes, uh-oh. I'm caught, right? I thought that looked really, that looked really fun. That looked really enticing. I was hungry and that was shiny and it was floating by and my impulse and I just went for it, right? You ever been there? We have, you have, I have, we all have because here, here's what Satan does. He knows, he knows the things that you're, you're tempted. See, here's the thing. There are things that, that we're all tempted with, but some of us won't be tempted by the same things. Right? There are certain things that may tempt you that won't tempt someone else. That they don't really have a problem with that. But it's, it's like the thing that, that really gets you, right? And, and Satan knows that. And so he's going to continually throw that temptation at you over and over again. The temptation is going to come. Those are the things that, that, that are inside of us. That, that we're tempted with. Temptation is believing Satan's lie. It's believing this lie. Because really what t- temptation is, it's doubt. It's doubting that God is good enough. Do you believe that God's good? Is God good? Is His good foundational to everything we understand about who Jesus is and who God is? A lot of times in the, we've did this in the past, we don't do it as much anymore, but we would say this. Some of you guys have been around for a while. Life is hard. Yeah, yeah, you still remember. Life is hard, but God is good. Now, that, that's a nice, cute little phrase that we remember, but that, we, we know the first part. We get the first part. But sometimes, do we doubt the second part? We do. Even though we don't think we do, we do, because temptation is saying, I know God says, I know that like, like being faithful to my wife and like, you know, just like, like, not cheating and, and not, not being tempted. I, I know, I know that that's like what, but nobody's going to find out, right? I, I know God says that like at work, like he says, you know, be, be honest and, and don't cheat. And like your yes be yes and your no be no and be people of character, right? And, and high moral standard in the community and, and be people that reflect Christ. I, I know that he says that, but if I just do this one little, like, Right? Right? And so there's these temptations that we have. If, if I do this, I bet nobody will ever find out. As soon as we do that, as soon as we give in 
to that, whatever that is for you, what we're saying is, God, I don't believe you're good. I don't believe you're good enough because I believe this thing over here, this earthly thing that tempts me, it's going to provide for me the things that you can't. And so when you give into that temptation, that's exactly what you're, you're, you're saying. You're choosing temporary happiness, like a, a moment of, of, of pleasure or desire in this world. You're choosing that over eternal holiness. And so temptation is believing Satan's lie when, when, when Satan says, God's keeping something for you. You need to choose what's good for yourself. Here, here's the, the biggest, the most dangerous thing that our world um, um, perpetuates and, and, and throws at us and throws at our kids and throws at you to, nowadays. Here, here it is, right? Is that you're, like, you're your boss. Like, you get to call the shots for you, right? Like it's all like I get to make all these decisions. My choice my body, my this, my that, my like, all the, like, like it's, and so, can I just say this? If you are a believer, if you are a follower, if you, if you, if you say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, you've, you've given up those rights. Like you said, I don't want that old life. I don't want that old body. I don't want that old, I don't want that. Like I've given it all over to you, Jesus. And so whatever, you're the one calling the shots now. This is, this is yours, Jesus. This heart, this mind, this body, these hands, these feet, it's all yours. This world is not, I'm not going to allow Satan in this world to say, come on. You, you know you want this. You know you can do this. Like, you're the boss. Call the shots. You, you should be the one in charge. No, we deny ourselves. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you remember this? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Denying yourself means denying self and saying, this is not about me anymore. I'm not going to let these things. I'm going to pursue holiness. And so James says, you're going to experience trials. There are going to be temptations. Understand what those are and, and resist them. And then he also distinguishes between temptations and sin. At least we, we need to do that this morning because here's what you need to understand. Being tempted by something isn't the same thing as sinning. Right? Being tempted by something means that you're just, like, that it's something that, that tempts you. It's not until you give in to that that you're sinning. And so there are all kinds of battles that go on inside of us every day, right? Like, you're tempted with something. And like I said, Satan knows that. He wants to destroy you. He wants to crush your heart and crush your spirit and send you to hell. And the best way that he can do that is to keep throwing these temptations at you that he knows that are your weakness, right? When you're battling someone and you know their weakness, they don't know yours, but you know their weakness, you're at an advantage. If you're, if you're, if you're fighting someone and you know that they got, they got a bad knee, they got a bad wheel, guess what I'm doing? I'm going for that bad wheel, right? I'm getting them down. I know their weakness. I'm going for it, right? He knows our weakness. Satan knows your weakness. He knows my weakness. That's why it keeps coming up time after time after time, day after day, hour after hour even, right? Satan will tempt us. He tempted Jesus. Jesus was tempted by Satan, but Jesus didn't give in, 
right? For 40 days, Jesus is in the desert. And, and Satan comes to him and says, you can have this bread. Turn that rock into bread. Like, you can do this. You can do that. Like, all these things, right? And, and Jesus says, I'm going to resist you. Flee from me. I'm going to run from the devil. He does that. We're going to be tempted. The key is not giving in to those temptations. And so here's another little tweetable thing, right? We sin when we give in. You sin when you give in. D- don't beat yourself up over the, the temptation itself. Because we all have, there are, there are things that tempt us. Understand that, that when you give in is when, when you sin. That, that's the important thing. And then he goes on with this. James says this in verse 13. He says, the temptations in your life... I'm sorry, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I wanted to throw this in there. He said, uh, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He wrote this to the church. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. Look at this. This is powerful. This is important. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. When you're tempted, God's word says that there's, there's, a, there's a way out. It's a trap, but there's, there's a trap door. There, there's a way to get out of that. And so when you're walking in the Holy Spirit and you, and you, and you know that this thing's gonna tempt you, you're like, I, I know, you know, I know what's gonna happen if I make this next choice, right? That's usually how, it's usually one bad choice followed by another bad choice followed by another bad choice, right? If you're a businessman and you're on the road and you're in a, in a, in a different city, and you, you're down maybe, you know, checking in at the hotel or you're, you're down there eating dinner and you, and there's a, a lady at the bar and like there's eye contact made and you're like, that was weird. And then you go to your room and you check in and you're getting ready for bed and there's a knock on the door and you look through the little peephole and it's that girl. There's a choice that has to be made right there, right? If I open this door, <laughs> Right? I'm just going to, like, am, am I going to open this door and, and, and see what she wants and see why she was, you know, looking at me and giving me googly eyes and like, am, am I going to do that? Or am I going to be like, walk away from the door, go take a cold shower, right? Flee from that. Run from that. When that temptation is there, Jay, the Bible says there's going to be a way out. God's going to give you a way out. Take it. James would say, take it every time. And so there are trials, there are temptations. And then I want you to look at this next part. As James continues on, he says this. More profound words about God's goodness. In, in verse 16, here, here's what he says. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chooses to give birth to those of us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, become his prized possessions. Here's another truth I want you to take with you today. God's goodness is foundational to our faith. His goodness is the hope that we cling to. If there is something in your life, if you take an inventory of your life today... And there's something, there are things in it that you say, these are, these are all good things. These are wonderful things. These are things that I am blessed with. You may, you may list your, your family, your spouse, your kids, whatever it is in your life that you say, these are the good things that I'm blessed with. Those things come from God. Those things are a blessing from Him because He is good. The foundational truth 
of, of this part of James's letter is that God is good. In the middle of, of trials, in the middle of the temptations that may come your way, understand and be mindful that God is good. And that's the hope that we cling to. Look at the next verse. In verse 19, it says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must also all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Let me just stop there for a second. If there's a verse that is more um, pertinent and timely for us today, don't you think it's this verse? Think about your conversations Think about the way people interact with one another on social media. If we took this verse, if you don't take anything else today, take verse 19. Understand this, dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. He says in verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Get rid of all that, that filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of, that God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. When you're angry, when your voice raises in a, in a discussion or in an argument, I always used to hear, the, the person that's getting the loudest is usually losing the argument, right? And so when, when you're in a discussion with someone or when someone's piping in all caps... Right? You're like, oh, hold on. Why are you yelling at me? Right? James says, the way we interact with people, the way we talk to people and talk with people is really important to God. He, he says, get rid, of, get rid of filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word of God as it's planted in your heart, and that's going to have power to save your souls. And so it's important for us to understand what God's word says about about this, that it's transforming us. And here's a question I would have for you. Is truth taking root and bearing fruit in your life? Is When you hear God's word, when you hear this today, does it take root in your heart and in your mind? Does it, does it start to transform your life? That, that, that's what James was writing about, and that's what, what Jesus was about with us. Let me finish up this letter. Here's what he says in verse, this part of the letter. In verse 22, he says this, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word of God and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free... And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James leaves no room here for misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. Following Jesus requires action. It requires us to act in some way. God's going to do the serving, or the saving. God does the saving. This is another one of those. God does the saving. Here's what you and I need to be doing. We need to be doing the serving. God's the one that's doing the saving. James says, you and I, our call is to act. Our faith is something that, that is, it, it works. It's, it's something that moves us and others, or at least it should. All the Bible studies in the world, all the knowledge in the world is meaningless if it doesn't transform your heart and your mind into action. Did you know that you can, your body can take in too much water? 
You know, right? Like, like doctors say, you know, drink a lot of water. Water's good for you. You can, you can drink, but you, you can drink too much water. It's called like high, I wrote it down here. It's called overhydration. And it's when you drink too much water and the kidneys, they, they can't get rid of that excess water. And so sodium content builds up in your blood. It becomes diluted and your body can become intoxicated with water, right? Water's meant to come in and it's meant to go out, Right? It, 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 you, you consume it and then it, it goes out. At least a lot of it needs to go out, right? The same thing is true with biblical knowledge and the application of that. When you understand the things of the Lord, when, when, you, when you've got it, you're like, all right, I understand it. Like I could teach a class on the New Testament or I could teach a class on the, I've taken enough Bible studies. I've got it. I've got the knowledge, right? James says that knowledge has to play itself out in your actions. If it doesn't, you're just going to spoil. You're just going to die. You're just going to become bloated, right? And, and it's not good for you spiritually. So those things have to be worked out. But, but, but be, understand this. Your works, your actions, they don't save you. We, we, we act, we serve, we faithfully do whatever God's called us to do because he saved us. Through Jesus, right? That's what we understand. So let me finish this. In verse 26, Paul or uh, James finishes this way. He says, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fo- uh, fooling yourselves and your religion is worthless. You ever been around someone who um, really struggles to control their tongue? Pure and genuine religion is the, in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And so James concludes this, this thing. We're done. He concludes with this answer, answering this question. He says, what should a relationship with God look like? And he a- answers in a very practical and profound way. It's a simple description of controlling your tongue and caring for other people. He says, a right relationship with God will be evident in a right relationship with other people. A right relationship with God will be evident will be proof for others, right? It, it, the relationship you have with them. What do we say every week? Love God, love people, right? Change this world. And so James is saying that the relationship you have with one another, the way you speak, the way you talk, the way you control your anger, the way you control your tongue, right? All those things are going to be important. Not giving in to those temptations when you want to punch that guy in the face, right? Don't give in to that temptation. That's a trial coming. Don't, don't give in to that, right? Jesus said that, that we would know, that the world would know his disciples by their love for one another. He said this in John thirteen thirty five: Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world. How do we prove to the world that we are followers of Jesus? The way we love one another. And the way we love a world that we're at odds with. Right? The way we serve a world and a community that we're we're at odds with. Right? Uh, The the way that we engage in service and going, we're not really on the same page. But I'm still going to love you. And I'm still going to serve you. Because that's what Jesus has called me to do. Why do we do that? Because that's exactly 
what the creator of the universe did for us. James says God expects us to go out, into, out of our way to love the overlooked, the marginalized, the vulnerable, the needy, orphans and widows, right? He says go out and do that. Why would we do that? Because that's exactly what he did for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us that when we were still sinners, right, that Jesus came and he died for us. In, in the moment we were sinning, Knowing that we would still be sinners, knowing that we would still doubt his goodness, knowing that we would still give in to those temptations, knowing that we would still sin, even in the middle of that, knowing all of that, Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. The ultimate love, the ultimate sacrifice. And so that's who we get our marching orders from. And so here's what an authentic faith says. I'm done with this. An authentic faith says this. When trials come your way, keep pursuing Jesus. This week, when things come at you, when the world throws things at you, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep walking towards him. Keep running towards him. When temptations come knocking at your door, run. Run the other way. Run as fast as you can away from those temptations. Don't give in to those temptations because those temptations will lead to sin. And the Bible says that when sin is fully birthed inside of us, it leads to what? Death. It leads to death. And then the last thing is, when it's time to act, be a doer of the word and serve others. Trials are going to come. Focus on Jesus. Temptation is going to f- come. Run from it. And then realize what James is pleading with us to do in this first chapter. You go be a doer of the word. In the way you love one another. In the way you react. When, when there's a hard conversation. When, when you know you just need to hold your tongue and not say something because it's going to make it worse. When you may just need to walk away and, and start praying. Right? When you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you'll make those kind of decisions. And then you just be a doer of the word. Here's what I've noticed. Is that that when we are about these things, when we are consumed with growing closer and more like Jesus, you know what becomes less and less important? Trials. Because you know they're coming, right? So, okay, we'll get through this. Jesus, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get us through this. When temptations come, yeah, I should have seen that one coming. It's, it's been there before, but Jesus, I'm going to run to you, right? And when we're focused on, on those things, those things that, that tempt us, that trip us up, that cause us to be confused, and it causes us to feel guilty, and it causes us to be way, just totally like in the opposite direction of where God wants us, they're not there as much because you're pursuing something that's holy. You're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And that's what matters. That's what you're consumed with. And so what James says is, let's be those kind of people. Let's be those kind of people. Let's be that kind of a church. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, I thank you for today. And I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place, sing songs of worship, praise to you, to to gather and take communion as a family, to see a brother and a sister be born this morning. New faith, new life. 
What what a powerful image of of what you do for us. Thank you for for that today. God, I pray that if there's another soul in this room this morning that needs to make the decision that Kevin and Rita made today, that they would do that in the next few moments. That they would seek out someone to pray with them, to counsel them, to lead them down that path because that is what this is all about so that we can all begin to grow closer and closer and closer to what you want for us not in this world but in the one to come where you offer us heaven and you offer us eternity and you offer us glory in your presence it's hard to even fathom God but we know it's true because you are good it's in Jesus name I pray Amen. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to sing this song. If you got a decision, something kind of on your heart that you want to pray about, there's some folks will be over in our decision room. They, they'd love to talk to you, connect with you. Let's sing. Sing this out. I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down. My whole life down before you. I lift my hands up, lay my whole Thanks for being here today. 
couple quick reminders. If you're new, just checking out our church for the first time, there's an I'm New wall right out in the lobby. There's some folks out there that would love to welcome you and give you a gift, and maybe answer any questions you have about our church. Also know that on July the 21st is a night of worship in here at 7 o'clock, so we'll hope you come back for that night. It's always a powerful uh, evening uh, as we just gather together as a church in a special time of, of worship. And then don't forget, uh, we're going to be leading up to uh, August, the first weekend in August, we'll be out at the park for one service that week. And there's some information that came out uh, this week about a golf scramble and the potluck dinner, uh, lunch, and those kind of things. So be watching for those in the e-news and online, those kind of things as we get ready for that uh, to kind of wrap up our summer and get ready to go back to school. As parents are like, yes, right? All right, you guys get out of here. Let's go love God, love people, and change this world.